My guest today is Shanna Carlson, who is a candidate analyst training with the Lacan School of Psychoanalysis in the Bay Area. She has a private practice in psychoanalytic therapy and Lacanian analysis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she is the author of Sex for Structuralists, The Non-Edible Logics of Femininity and Psychosis, published under the last name De La Torre in Palgrave in 2018. Her articles on psychoanalysis, transgender subjectivity, and queer kinship in contemporary and medieval contexts have appeared in Differences, Subjectivity, The Transgender Studies Reader 2, The International Journal of Psychoanalysis, and L'Esprit Créateur. In this episode, Shanna Carlson will discuss structure in the psychoanalytic clinic and theory. So welcome, and thank you so much for joining me, Shanna, today. Um, yeah, so so as I've been doing so far with uh, other guests in this podcast, uh, I wanted to ask you for your own definition of psychoanalysis. How would you explain mm-hmm. to someone who may not know anything about psychoanalysis or mm-hmm. who may have a very vague general idea or might have heard that word but not really explored that world what is psychoanalysis what's distinctive about it oh okay I think I'd say the first thing that's distinctive about it is that it's an experience it's an experience that its participants so both the analyst and the analyzand or the clinician and the patient whatever folks are at and their experiences are at um, go through that takes them out of the bounds of space and time to this other scene and this other scene becomes something that can be accessed and learned from and ultimately transformed into something that can become something from which then the person can act ethically or um, something from which the person can produce something beautiful in the world. So it's an experience that's gone, uh, it's really embarked upon by the people who are in the process. And it has to be, in each case, reinvented. So each analysis is something different, I would say. Somewhere Freud also describes it as slow magic. I think that's important. Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) Slow magic, wow. (laughs) Yes, isn't that lovely? Yeah. And urgent, though. So urgent at the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah, great. So I've been talking in in some of the other sessions about the difference between this kind of treatment and other mm-hmm. modes of treatment, like or psychotherapy. But perhaps for our uh, conversation today, since I invited you in order to talk about structure as a concept that is important in psychoanalysis. Uh, maybe we can keep in mind throughout the conversation these other mm, yeah, kinds of treatment or modes of work because it will have something to do with, with how we think about structure in, in this experience of slow magic and how it's perhaps a different kind of magic to the yeah. one that maybe someone might expect when they arrive mm. seeking help. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's... Yeah, that's helpful to reorient us that way. All right, great. So 
Good. So yeah, so one one reason I thought about structure with you is the fact that you uh, wrote Sex for Structuralists, The Non-Edipal Logics of Femininity and Psychosis. Mm-hmm. And so in that title, we have Structuralists who are interested in structure and mm-hmm. in an academic uh, world, we, uh, I guess, in critical theory, we learn a lot about structuralism, or at least some, or we should (laughs) learn a lot about it. Uh, But then perhaps it's surprising to some, you know, to some people less familiar with, with clinical psychoanalysis, that structuralism might be, might have something to say or something to do Mm with these other words in your title, such as femininity and psychosis. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) So when people think of structuralism in academia, perhaps Uh they think of, you know, linguistics and Uh the signifier. And um, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe some Mm -hmm. people read Lévi-Strauss still, hopefully. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you do that in your book. But yeah, but to think of femininity and psychosis as Mm -hmm. structures is quite, interesting relevant but also less common that's all i'm saying like more less heard of all the time (laughs) but so this is why i thought it would be great to hear you think with me about structure in psychoanalysis and of course lacan was a associated to structuralism and that's also something that's known but let's i would love for us to make some space for what is less known about Mm -hmm. About structure and Lacan's engagement with structure and how it matters in a clinical yeah. sense, yeah. In, in the sense of the experience that you were describing when you defined psychoanalysis. Yeah, yeah, I've almost forgotten that that is the way that people encounter structuralism, and that makes sense. Why else would we, in a way, except for through like Levi Strauss and others? And actually, I was led into that from the other way around because I think I first encountered structure as something that was in the teachings at G-Freak, you know, the group in Quebec that is provides these really trainings in Lacanian psychoanalysis. And so there was this linking between structure and the clinic. And then I found out in a way about Levi Strauss and I wondered what on earth, and I still feel like I don't know, but like what on earth were the links between these two kinds of scenes? But I'm very much so interested in the efficacy of structure in a clinical sense. So I'm glad that you want to talk about that with me. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So you're all about the efficacy and like what it, what it's doing, like what is, how things work and change something or move something. Move something. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but structure sounds so, um, so fixed and firm and so unmovable. (laughs) So, so it's kind of, uh, it's surprising. Well, maybe a way to kind of start to get at that and what's movable would be to kind of introduce a difference between, you know, like structure and then what uh, Willie Apollone once in a teaching I attended described them as the manifestations of the structure. Mm -hmm. So the way in which, so for Lacanian psychoanalysis, there are essentially three structures. There's neurosis, psychosis and perversion and 
something that's important about that is that none of them are considered to be illnesses, right? Um, but they're, uh, I guess, Willie Apollone has defined it as the way in which the subject negotiates her place with the defect in language. So it's a question about structure in that sense is a question about how a position, how a, how a subject has positioned herself with respect to, I guess we could say, language and desire and the other. So uh -huh. the defect in language, could you say? The what? defect in language, that's a very fundamental question that is always hard for me to answer, I suppose. Yeah, I guess just the fact that there is something missing, that there there is something fallen, there is a lack in structure, there's a lack in language, there's a lack in the other. How does a, any given subject who comes into the world position him or herself with respect to that kind of irreducible reality, which can be so devastating, uh, depending, I mean, I guess it's fundamentally devastating, but it's also fundamentally liberating. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm so glad you, you explained it this way. Um, because it seems very, very helpful to think about the difference between psychoanalysis and other modes of mm. treatment to go back to uh -huh. that, right? So like if we yeah. are working with structures that are positions with regard to the lack in language, the question is not about filling up that mm. lack, right? right? Or like right. erasing the lack or right. the magic is not about... Ah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm glad you went back to magic. Yes. So another distinction, I guess, that's sort of useful to think is, and this was your question that you proposed to me, was this question of what's the difference between a diagnosis and a structure, right? So something like the DSM provides a diagnosis yeah. of a disorder. And this is something, it's a different sort of starting point to start from the question of a disorder is certainly posits that before that idea, there's the possibility of order <laughs> or orderliness. Um, and then there's the disorder and the disorderliness. And from that starting point, there might be then the hope of getting rid of the disorder, right? Like if only we could get rid of this disorder, um, then we'd be happy or something like that. Uh -huh. So thinking instead from the standpoint of a structure, that's a different kind of opening gambit. In fact, there isn't a sort of aspiration to get rid of something disorderly, but actually to, I guess what they might say is to liberate what's acting in that, in that suffering. So it's a different aim, I guess, that comes from a different starting point. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad you brought up the thing about, or the comparison to the diagnoses in a DSM manual, mm -hmm. especially because there's some shared vocabulary, right? Mm -hmm. So like if so if we say psychosis in psychoanalysis, mm -hmm. we're not necessarily talking about the same thing as a psychiatrist would if they're using the DSM to say someone is psychotic. Yeah, right. That's right. And there would be different disorders within that, right? But mm -hmm. there are the psychotic disorders anyhow. Like Yeah. Yeah, I like how you're talking about the the different goals, the that mm. the goals are completely different. But then would a person, I guess that a question that uh, maybe that I've posed at some point and that I've heard a lot is, mm. so is a person who is psychotic, according mm. to the DSM, necessarily in a psychotic structure, in a psychoanalytic sense, or not? What do you think? I think 
not. I think um, I think there is a specificity to the psychotic structures it thought about psychoanalytically that does not really it doesn't align with how the DSM would present psychosis. So let's see. I'm trying to think how much I know or remember about the DSM, but I think I should start it <laughs> from the other side. So um, I guess something that I've heard particularly in the teachings I've attended up in Quebec presented by the analysts of G-Freak is that for them, what it defines, I guess, psychosis is this idea that there's a mission to repair the defect in language. So the first thing that we were speaking about, the first thing you asked about, the defect in language and the defect in the other. So the position of someone with a psychotic structure is that this defect is something that is experienced uh, very profoundly. And then the response is to think, well, let, let's repair it. I'll repair it. And articulates, therefore, a sort of mission for how to go about doing that. So in that sense, the position of someone who's in the psychotic structure is, is to be kind of, you know, denouncing the social link, I guess, ultimately. Whereas the neurotic is, is the one who adapts to the social link, who says, oh, well, I better <laughs> make this work. Like this structure that I'm in, which is called society, is something that I will adapt myself to at the cost of unconscious desire. So, so I guess another thing that seems relevant to mention is that people who show up in hospitals uh, who are diagnosed with psychosis here, for example, in the United States, they might not all be considered psychotic in, in this specific psychoanalytic sense. But here again, maybe the manifestations of the structure uh, could have some similarity from one structure to the next. Yeah. So then in what you are saying, there seems to be there, re there seems to be something about that experience of the lack in language, which is felt profoundly but differently in each of the structures. And perhaps there's a difference in the response to that experience. And, and that's what positions one in, in one or the other or the other. <laughs> Um, then is that experience something that marks the person's life, the person's body, the person's memories? Like how exactly, how do you work with that in, in analysis? It's a good question. Yeah, I think it does mark all of those things that you mentioned. And that is sort of the material of an analysis though, then, right? To sort of deduce or to approach or to bring out or to hear what is the position of this subject in the structure and how are these things coming across? How do we find that through repetitions and through what they do? Yeah, what they remember, how they remember it, these kinds of things. So structure, I guess, in that sense is not, again, it's not something that's sort of in observable reality but it's approached through um, these kinds of things that can be sort of observed, like uh -huh. what's repeated. That's so interesting. Yeah. And then again, sort of coming back to the question, what's the goal of a treatment? The goal of a treatment then isn't to change a structure, but to change sort of something about the experience of the structure. So some of these manifestations are bringing about suffering. If someone comes to an analysis, it's because there's some suffering. So an analysis doesn't guarantee actually that the suffering will go away or even sort of claim to be intending to cure it, right? But the effect of the work oftentimes is that there are these changes in how, how the structure is lived, but not the structure itself. So it would be kind of a neurotic fantasy to be cured 
cured <laughs> of <laughs> being neurotic or that the psychotic should be cured of being psychotic. That's not what's at stake in the experience of analysis. Wow. Yeah, that's great. I'm so glad <laughs> you put it that way. <laughs> like yeah. That's a very neurotic fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. I guess I have a couple of questions that come from what you just said. One is if you have any examples of that shift or that change mm -hmm. that is not from one structure to another, but that mm -hmm. is in what is done with that unconscious desire or what is done with that suffering as it transforms. Would you be able to give any examples from anywhere, you know, that could kind of pinpoint that? I'm trying to think of an example I could translate into something shareable. Um, let's see, maybe I'll give the sort of meta account of it. So for example, a patient might have a phobia of a particular kind of object. And this is real, right? Like this object is terrifying to this person and they avoid it and they feel fearful when they encounter it. And then over time, thinking about just whatever comes to mind, this word becomes heard by both the patient and the clinician. And it comes out that this word for this object is also a word that's idiomatically used to refer to something else that is actually scary. I wish I could come up with a good translation here, but so it's a term that has been displaced, right? So the, the object in reality that has been something experienced as an object of fear is idiomatically linked to a traumatic memory of something that is something that is a source of fear. Um, and then also linked a fantasy, of course. But in hearing that, no longer does this person need to be afraid of that object in reality, because now they know they have that knowledge that came from the unconscious about where this fear was coming from. Uh -huh. yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of makes me think of, um, who is it? Uh, is it little Hans or something? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh -huh. Phobias. <laughs> and, yeah. the, and how Freud... Uh, yeah shows what kind of like that often there's this word yeah sort of been displaced and then. yep yeah what is it where is it coming from what other scene yeah the other thing that's coming to mind in a more so like in the case of the wolf man tracy mcnulty has such a good reading of that case and her contribution to that book concept and form and her article is called desuturing desire and she works with the case of the wolf man and points out that at a certain point Freud tells the wolf man listen we're going to end treatment after this amount of time and that at that point then the body of the wolf man specifically the bowel as Freud writes joins the conversation and so here's another point where something is changing right now the bowel has to join the conversation in order to make clear something that the language alone wasn't able to say about the wolfman's experience. I'm not sure if this is making more or less sense, but I lost track of your original question. You were looking for examples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, this is great. So that because you're bringing up the function of the symptom of a symptom that can emerge within analysis, and it is showing that something is changing. It's, yes, it's its role in the structure, or something is moving. Yeah, the bowel is moving. <laughs> the bowel is moving. <laughs> yeah, bowel movement. Oh, great. <laughs> It's hilarious, but yeah. yeah, no, it does make, I think it makes more sense than what I was asking about since we started with like, it's not, you're going to move from being yeah. psychotic to neurotic or neurotic to 
pervert or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> though maybe there is it seems like uh like everyone becomes hysterical <laughs> during ah, the uh-huh. in some way and yeah. in this example of the wolfman's bowel right. during the conversation there seems yeah. to be something that gets hystericized right like the, that's this kind of body speaking <laughs> the body speaking that's right oh i like that yeah something is hystericized so the body can speak right yeah let's see yeah so i did a, a session with tracy mcnulty precisely and uh, i was asking her about the concept of the past oh huh. And it seems very, I mean, well, it is very relevant to, to what you are saying when you, when you speak about the efficacy of structure and where it leads us and like where it leads a, yes. a, a subject undergoing. Right. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Go I got excited. <laughs> yeah. It's something okay. about the, just how very much so structure isn't abstract in the clinic. There's something that becomes literalized with the help of structure in the body. And is that a, okay, yes. So there's something that becomes literalized and and in literalized, it's not just that it's concrete, but that there's a letter. (laughs) Right, right. This is a term, I guess, of Willie Apollon's again, the letters of the body. And um, one way of, I think, thinking about that is places where the body is marked by an originary trauma. So that happens to each and every one of us is one of the claims of psychoanalysis. When that happens, the body or the organism becomes a body, not just an organism. And in an analysis, those letters of the body are remobilized. And so listening to an analysand and being an analysand, listening to oneself, there are these words, signifiers that come up that are worked through and repeat. But the signifiers that really kind of count are the ones or that can be trusted are also those that touch somehow a letter of the body or that come up somehow as a letter of the body. So that's really, you know, that's really important, I guess I would say that it's actually that structure and the letter of the body are linked in that way that I guess it's kind of hard to explain and I must not I must not understand it <laughs> but that there's something about the um that the letter of the body is saying something about the position of the subject in this structure of the fantasy so we need both really we're listening for both both the letter and the structure I guess yeah okay so that's that's very interesting in order to imagine the position of the of the analyst your position when you're listening to someone in that it's not that you're reducing everything someone is telling you to either neurotic pervert or psychotic but instead you're really as you said initially when you were just defining psychoanalysis there's something that's getting invented with every single process and then the analyst doesn't know beforehand what these letters are right so they seem to 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 emerge through this work that is that is like between between analyst and an analysand or something yeah yeah so you came up with two different kinds of examples that were really interesting first you you mentioned the the phobia object to think about what could move in an analysis we started with the phobic object and we ended up with the bowel mm-hmm. the wolfman's uh 
bowel. And in the first one, you you offered this shift from, from only being afraid of this object to figuring out what has been displaced into that object or how it connects mm-hmm. to language, to the language of the phobic subject. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's a change in the response because there's a knowledge of something that has been made conscious. Um, and, th- and there's no longer necessarily the like sheer fear of this object without any connection to anything else in the in the subject's life in the case of the um, of the bowel the bowel like it seems like a totally uncomfortable thing to undergo all of a sudden Mm -hmm. but at the same time well I don't remember I don't have the case in mind so so clearly right now but I suppose the guy had a problem like he was constipated all the time right so it was maybe something of a relief in this case but it could be something that is not necessarily a relief and it could be more like suddenly there's a like some medical problem that they that that emerges but that is doing something that 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 involves progress in the in the treatment Mm -hmm. from the perspective of the unconscious subject so like like from the perspective of from the perspective of the of the neurotic self who wants to fit in to their Mm -hmm. social world they would be maybe uncomfortable or disturbed by whatever is emerging by some speaking bowel perhaps or something else but but there's something that is but the analyst seems to not worry about whether or not this symptom is going to help well actually cannot at all worry about whether or not this symptom is going to help that individual fit in to the world (laughs) and instead could consider this like a great leap forward in something getting unstuck perhaps in not being stuck or or trapped within the fantasy that is underlying this whole thing right I mean I'm just trying to I guess to think more about how I guess how the subject's freedom is understood in in psycho in psychoanalysis in in terms of structure and or with regard to structure in a clinical sense especially since you've made this very strong point that it's something that's not abstract (laughs) it's something that that is in in some engagement with the letter Mm -hmm. yeah a lot there I feel like part of what you said there helped me to notice something about the two examples which is that the first example kind of with the phobic object kind of is a part of maybe the treatment that involves like the practice of the signifier so what can be done with the signifier mm-hmm. whereas the second part the second example is kind of opening onto that other scene which is the work with the symptom or the letter of the body or so what to do maybe a practice of the letter then so these would be different moments or different components of the analytic work and what you were saying just reminded me of how important it is that an analysis is not aimed at helping someone adapt to reality. This is something I've heard a lot over the years, um, but seems always to need to be reset, I guess, uh, because that's such a strong neurotic impulse to want to adapt to reality or something like this. And instead, there's this idea of, you know, what doesn't fit in what's actually making things uncomfortable in life and what to do with that what to do with that instead of just getting rid of it. So again, back to this question of like, what's the magic of a treatment too? The magic of the treatment is not to cure someone of the thing that makes them not fit in. (laughs) 
or that's uncomfortable for them really even to find some other way to do something with that very thing. That's wonderful. Yeah. So why is it that structure helps so much with, or is the like, like in the right position to address things in this Um, way? Good question. (laughs) Let's see. Um, Well, I mean, for one thing, I think structure, I think it's like a nice, you know, structure implies a space, right? Uh So that's from the get go. It's like a good word for that reason. Like structure makes a space, structure makes a clearing. I think structure helps us to find that there are no expectations here. You know, there's nothing already given that's already been determined as well. This is what is coming and this is what needs to be done. No, structure is departing from, we don't know. (laughs) We want to know. We want to find out. And it's really up to the patient and the analyst and to make all the decisions then that come from what they learn. I think structure helps that. Does that make sense? I don't know. It's it's great. I mean, I'm really glad you brought up this word, um, like what's determined and and what isn't. Because yeah, like mm-hmm. I think that structure could Im- invite or could lead one to think that structure means it's all determined. Oh, like there, uh, there are all yeah. of these little. There's a space, but there are all these squares. That's a group sure. or something, yes. and then each thing fits into its little square. Or if we think about like mm-hmm. the clinic engaging with three psychic structures, so here mm-hmm. we have these three little squares, and either you fit here, here, or here. Mm-hmm. Done. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so what we're talking about here sounds much less determined. So you're making the point that it that structure is not every there everything is predetermined mm-hmm. or determined and mm-hmm. and instead there's something that's unknown and you want to find out what it is. So like instead mm-hmm. it's it's like there is a logic to mm-hmm. this chaos and we want to see what its logic is regardless of inconvenience uh-huh. <laughs> to, to maybe some ideal of order and some ideal of uh, of normalcy or things like that. What's at the heart of what is repeating something like that? Where is the subject positioned within that um, with respect to that? I mean, the, the child is being beaten is a nice formula for thinking that, right? There's at a minimum, there's like the other who beats and the other who is beaten. So to kind of think of fantasies as having these structures and logics that have multiple positions that are all part of the square, <laughs> um, but nothing you know, that's what's to be, to be learned. Like that's what the Amazon, what we can discover over the course of our analyses. Like, what is that for each of us? Wow. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's really, that is a helpful inference here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's great. I mean, it left me thinking about a lot of things and I could. Me too. Keep yeah. Talking about yeah. No, this is, thank you. Yeah, it's thank fun you. to get to do this and talk to you and to talk about these things. Oh, thanks a lot.